love has done its part And let him reign in my life and my heart If love has done its part Welcome to Healing Hidden Wounds Radio, sponsored by Shadow of His Wings Ministry. We are glad you are listening today and hope you find words of healing, insight, and restoration. Shadow of His Wings Ministry was founded by Lee and Shay Preston and born out of God's vision for setting captives free. If you would like to support us in the work we do, please visit www.shadowofhiswingsministry.com to donate. Today on Healing Hidden Wounds, Lee is talking with Jonathan Darty, director of Be Broken Ministries. Let's listen in as Lee and Jonathan discuss the ins and outs of recovery from sexual brokenness. My name is Jonathan, and I'm here with my friend Lee. How are you, Lee? I'm good, Jonathan. Good. Well, we are going to dive into a topic. Uh, remember, this is our Healing Hidden Wounds segment where, you know, I had, actually, just so you'll know, Lee, I had I had some comments from some people lately that said, hey, you know, why do you seem to separate out your Healing Hidden Wounds from, like, your other radio broadcasts? Because, you know, some people might see the same sex thing, and then they just don't even listen to those broadcasts, and... And hey, Amen. I've listened to those broadcasts, and they're helpful for anybody struggling. And so I'm, you know, here on air, I'm kind of saying, let's we're not making that big of a distinction between these broadcasts and maybe some of our other broadcasts. The difference is we do dive a little deeper into some of the same sex issues right. when when you're on the air with us. But that doesn't mean that these aren't beneficial for anybody listening. Amen. And as we've always said, Jonathan, uh, all sexual addiction is just like one degree of separation away from the other. So right. it just depends on kind of what your hurts are and where you went with it. So, And I like to think that we're we're always going to be more alike in our brokenness than we are different. That's absolutely right. So, so where do you want to take us uh, this week? What are we going to be talking about? Well, this particular topic, uh, Jonathan, kind of came to me as I've been working with men in general. Uh, we are, uh, that uh, is an appropriate uh, comment you just made because today's uh, broadcast is really geared at all men. It's geared towards all men uh, because it's kind of talking about men of all, of all walks of life who have at some point in their childhood encountered same-sex sexual brokenness, whether it happened, uh, and we can call it sexual abuse, you can call it... Uh, you know, you touch mine, I'll touch yours, whatever happened. But if it happened between uh, uh, a man uh, who's now a man now but a boy and another little boy, uh, then it can be considered what I guess I'm calling today same-sex attraction or same-sex brokenness. Uh, and once that occurs in a little boy's life, he has a really hard time trying to understand that. So it can certainly, once it happens, it can certainly veer off in two different directions. A kid can grow up thinking he's gay and actually live out that gayness, or he can grow up thinking, oh my gosh, what am I? I don't know what I am, so let me just keep acting out with girls now as much as I can to prove that whatever happened back then wasn't me. Right, so, and and in your experience, would you say that, I mean, you've, whether however it manifests itself later on in a person's life, whether it be through pornography or whether it be, you know, heterosexual affairs, homosexual affairs, whatever you've seen in terms of as adults, 
would you say that there's a pretty high rate of these types of incidents in young boys in terms of when their sexuality is traumatized? Oh, I definitely think there's, I mean, I couldn't put a number on it because I haven't really uh, And this is unscientific, yeah, but I'm just saying just like, kind of in your counseling experience and in your experience with broken men. I'd say it's 50 to 60 percent, and uh, that's what made it so interesting uh, of a topic because I kept praying about it and thinking, wow, you know, this is a huge issue because most guys don't want to talk about it in the first place. Right. And they certainly don't want to talk about it if they're carrying around a lot of shame because of what happened back then that now they just want to cover up with all the females that they can have sex with. And either way, the bottom line is is there's a real pain there. There's a real hurt. It's real brokenness. And uh, it feels just really shameful. Like, why would he have done that to me? Or why did we do that together? And what what kind of man does that make me? Do you see that being a similar response regardless of how it eventually worked out later, whether they went the route of just, um, you know, like you said, kind of just living in that, uh, believing the lies of gayness and just going in that direction, or whether they tried to cover it up and mask it with heterosexual? Do you feel like when, you, when you're counseling these guys and then when they're talking about those initial experiences, are their feelings essentially similar in what they were feeling about those experiences then versus maybe where they've eventually gone now in terms of their acting out? Sure. I think uh, most of the origin be feelings are, are all the same. You know, mm -hmm. shameful, I don't know why this is happening, I don't know why this guy chose me, or I don't know why I'm doing this with this guy. Um, but I think it changes at some point for the guy who has grown up in a more broken situation where his sexuality is questioned uh, and his gender begins to be questioned, then he grows up thinking, oh, well, that's just confirmation that I realized I was gay back then. Whereas a guy who, who doesn't, you know, has some other things in place, maybe he's not so broken in his sexuality or in his gender. So then he grows up knowing I, I really do find in my attraction towards girls, but, um, what he really does at that point is he hides it pretty deeply down. Like, I don't want anybody to ever know this. And if I can have sex with 36 women uh, or girls over my next, you know, five years of, of, of high school, then I right, can yeah. show that I'm, I'm, I'm not what I thought I was back then. Well, now, so as you're saying that, the one of the things that jumps out to me that's common through both of these scenarios and in each of these particular boys is that there is a a tremendous sense of confusion surrounding their sexuality as a result of these experiences. What does that, what do you think that confusion does to an eight, nine, ten-year-old boy when he is experiencing these sexual encounters that is just causing him to spin emotionally and, and mentally in directions that he's just incapable of handling? Oh, I think it spins him out of control. I think what's incredible is, is most eight or nine year old boys, they really are, in my opinion, asexual at that point. They don't really know. You know, yeah, maybe mom or dad or grandma or grandpa always say, oh, look at little Johnny. He's got a girlfriend. He's got a girlfriend. Mm -hmm. But truly at eight to nine years old, there's not a lot of, you know, oh, yes, I love women. I can't wait to have sex with a girl. It's usually wow, I'm just finding my penis and I'm not even sure, you know, what, what it, how it works, you know. Mm -hmm. And so it's kind of figuring all that out along the same time with all of, a, all of a sudden this thing happens where either some same-sex touching happens or 
actually goes into some same-sex sexual activity and then boys at that point are like whoa you know all I know is is I'm I, I don't feel like I'm supposed to know to do this yet something strangely feels good about this and yet I'm extra ashamed of it because at eight or nine most boys at least know what a fag is and so mm -hmm. or a sissy you know and so they're like whoa I'm not sure where I fit now in this and so it really throws up a huge question mark where all and that's where all the shame starts yeah cuz I mean how does a little boy process that I mean you're talking you mentioned several things there that are huge you're talking about you know there's something that on a physical level can feel good right on an emotional level can create a sense of shame and fear and anxiety then then on maybe even even at eight or nine a spiritual level there can be some conflict of conscience then there can be the social level of even at eight or nine these stigmas that even if they don't fully understand what some of these terms mean it's very clear through body language and giggling and those kind of things that it's a shameful thing and so you got all this stuff sort of rolled into one coming out of any one of these experiences that these young boys could have and how on earth can a young boy bear that burden well he generally can't i mean he has to figure out a way to not feel about it anymore or hopefully in the best circumstances he's close enough to somebody in his life that he can go to and say hey you know i'm not sure what to do with this but you know uh, Scott, the little boy I play with next door, you know, he put my penis in his mouth and I, I'm, I don't know what to do with it. What do you think? <laughs> you know, right. so they can at least get some adult advice there. But most of the time, because of the shame surrounding that, most guys never do that. And when you say also that, that because so many of these exper experiences occur within family members, whether it be an extended family member, a cousin, uh, an uncle, maybe even a father, that creates a whole other sense of there's no safe environment or safe people with whom this little boy thinks he can talk to. Because, hey, aren't you kind of conditioned, even in the most dysfunctional families, that your safest place is in your family? Most definitely. And if these things are happening in your family, what other kind of confusion does that create with this boy where he's feeling on an island, completely isolated, totally alone, unable to deal with these big issues? Sure. And the and the crazy thing is you're absolutely right is that it's, you know, the the family is especially hard to tell if it's happened inside the family. Mm -hmm. But I got to offer to guys sitting out there listening, it may be ex even it additionally hard if this is like some guy that you're used to spending the night with when you're eight or nine years old and all of a sudden you know you're you're exploring things that you shouldn't be exploring because maybe he's got a stash of porn somewhere his dad does or you know he brings out the old uh, porn videos and y'all sneak him off into his room and watch him for a little while and one thing leads to another and first it's masturbation then it's he touches you and you touch him and then before you know it there's hey we're going to try out what's going on on the screen mm-hmm and, you know, you get into this place where you don't know really what to do at that point. You just feel out of control, and yet you know it feels good. And it's that whole idea of, you know, God gave us sexuality but as a gift, but it was meant to be a gift within boundaries. Mm -hmm. And there's two boys who are completely out of their bounds at that point, and, and it causes things to happen that lead to a bunch of shame and a bunch of, of just unknownness and then really nobody to talk to. Well, and then I'm thinking about this additional piece, and this is where we kind of we can kind of bring parents into the conversation a little bit. Is that because I, you know, I've heard this scenario over and over and over again of 
of the little boy who has maybe one of those experiences with their friends where, you know, you touch mine, I'll touch yours kind of a thing, and it happens, and the, the little boy doesn't know what to do with it. He goes home, he tells his mom, and the reaction that the mom has is so overwhelming, sure. it's almost like an additional trauma in that's... Actually, it's almost like that's the trauma when there was this sort of ignorant kind of encounter with this other kid that maybe there wasn't... Again, like you said, if it's an eight or nine year old boy, there's still not not much, if anything, in their lives at that point is sexualized in their sure. mind. They don't really understand sexuality. So sometimes some of these initial encounters, now this may sound weird, but there's almost an innocence to them because they're, especially when they're with the same age, like if it's one eight year old boy and another eight year old boy, and there's sort of this kind of experimental touching kind of thing some of that is just discovery type touching but then when the kid goes and tells his parent and there's this blown up reaction and then it's you know being grounded or it's being having toys taken away or it's it's you know um no more you can't have that friend anymore i mean all these kind of over the top fear responses which i can understand as a parent the fear that that could have but sometimes a parent's not looking at the whole situation sort of from that eight-year-old's perspective because you have an adult perspective that has gone through your you know your sexuality and you understand the fullness of sexuality right or you've got a lot of brokenness already mixed into your own sexuality that you hear your little boy just had you touch mine i touch yours with this other boy in his bedroom and you automatically freak out and go gay homosexual oh my gosh i gotta stop this i gotta put a stop to it i gotta get this kid away from my son and and so what I want to ask you is, is you know, generally if we're talking like this, we then kind of focus on the parent and, you know, that response and everything. But I actually want to, I want you to comment um, to that to that boy. I mean, he's now a man, but to that boy who that's been part of his trauma, how does that, how does that boy, or I guess how can that man today be able to sort of reconcile all of that that happened? There was certainly the event sure. that occurred that was a sexual event but then there was the additional trauma of a parent or an adult or somebody who they were essentially trying to confide in that really just shut them down, basically. Sure. Well, you know, it's interesting because I think that's what's on my heart is that kid, and I watch him sitting in my office, and I see those little kid eyes. I don't, you know, yeah, he's a man now, but I still see his little kid eyes, that little boy inside him behind the man, and it. And he sits there and, you know, I keep saying, you know, and what else? Have you had anything else that's happened that, you know, that could cause you to feel either ashamed or traumatized in your sexuality? And, you know, you can just see almost that sheepishly they kind of finally say, well, there was this time that, you know, and then they can fold the story. And it's you can just see the shame come pouring out of them. And when you end up having that happen along with a parent who then shames as well, you have this this absolute cemented in feeling that you know don't ever look back at that age again don't look at that boy again meaning the boy at that age yourself at that age don't ever look at him he was a disgusting no good kid he did this wrong he we're not that way we're never going to be that way he was the broken one and and I'm talking about the same man I'm just talking as a a different boy Mm -hmm. at that age and um and so he's basically cut that piece of his life and put it way down inside the basement and said, we're not ever going there again. 
But everything in the basement ultimately starts to smell after a while. And so it doesn't matter. Life comes along and all that stuff's still in there. And so when I'm talking to that guy, I'm saying, you know what, it's time to talk about it. You're not gay. You're not a fag. You're not a queer. You know, nobody is. God didn't make any of us that way. No matter whether you say you're gay or whether you're this guy who's trying to conquer these 76 women who can prove finally that your masculinity is solid, either way, God didn't make homosexual. He made us sexual and to be in relationship with women in a bonds of marriage. And so as long as you can kind of keep hanging on to that idea that, you know what, I don't even have to question my sexuality. All I have to do is question the pain. What hurts there? Well, what hurts there is, is I don't understand why I got an erection. You know, these guys are usually asking themselves, well, why did I get aroused by it? Mm -hmm. Or why did I go ahead and have oral sex? Or why did I let him do that to me or him or me do that to him? Or why did it get to the point where we ended up having sex like that or some sort of sexual interaction for, you know, a year or six months? Or we did it eight times, you know? Mm Because that's usually where all the question marks come from. Oh, well, if I can see if it happened once, I knew better, I get out of there, I never do it again. But how come it happened ten times? Well, because anybody touches your penis, it's going to feel good. Right, sure. And and so you have to know that now as an adult, but you also have to remember that as a kid, that's all you were thinking as well, is, well, all I know is it feels pretty good, and I'm already kind of stirring up this addiction, and I don't know how to stop it. Now. Well, you know, I find that kind of interesting because, you know, you mentioned earlier about how a, you know, an eight- or nine-year-old boy is sort of asexual at that point. I mean, right. they they definitely have a sexuality, but in sure. terms of their consciousness of it, they're not necessarily there. And as you were say, as you were talking about this idea that we are created sexual, not homosexual or heterosexual, we are sexual beings, then it made me... It made me kind of think, well, yeah, as it, as it pertains to contact, if a if a man has his eyes closed and someone touches his penis, it's going to feel good. Your, exactly. Your biology is in some way, your biological system is basically amoral. <laughs> exactly. And it it's doesn't just biology. Really, whether and, it's a man's hand or a woman's hand that touches you, it's not gonna know. You're not gonna know the difference. Right. It's, it's until you open your eyes and see. And I think that's a good perspective because you know we are the ones that attach such labels of shame, based on how a person's brokenness manifests itself in their sexuality. Sure. And the reality is, is that um, anything, anything outside of God's design for our sexuality is always going to be less than exactly what it was intended for. Exactly. And so in a sense, anything that we do outside of that standard is going to bring a sense of shame. It's going to bring a sense of guilt because we're think about what happened with Adam and Eve. The moment they sinned, what's the first thing they realized? We're naked. Yeah, they went to hide. And I find that interesting that the first sense of shame they had was in in relationship to their sexuality. Absolutely. And I think that has been a, a pattern for all of history, is that there has been, because of sin, not because of homosexual acts or because of heterosexual acts outside of it, because of sin, there's been a type of shame that's been attached to our sexuality. Right. And I think what you're talking about is in these incidents that happen in these young boys, that is heightened. It seems to solidify some of these shame thoughts 
at a very young age that then just get perpetuated over time. Sure, sure. And that that is a message really to the guys listening out there right now, but also to parents listening out yeah. there right now. You know, you got a kid who struggles, you know, with with just knowing who he is sexually, not even, you know, because he is eight or nine. And there's always a struggle at that age or 10 or 11, you know. And so, you know, parents and, and dads especially, watch what you say, you know, when you make comments about, you know, fags or queers or sissies or because little boys, there's a lot of pressure in junior high about Mm -hmm. not being a sissy and not being a fag and not being a queer and not, you know, fitting in. And so they already hear all the pressure. And if there's been any sexual brokenness whatsoever, then they come smack dab right up against that feeling of, oh my gosh, you know, I'm, I'm one of those people, the ones that nobody likes to be around. And unfortunately, I do want to add right now, that's changing slightly in our society right now because now it's becoming more politically correct and acceptable to be bisexual or bi-experimental. And so, but it's still not going to make it better. What it's doing now then is it's saying, oh, well, it's already happened once. Maybe I am bi-experimental. Maybe I am bisexual. And so I should just keep trying it and see what happens. So either one causes you to fall against the grain and go against what God's best is and end up getting hurt. But, you know, it's just a slightly different twist. And and really all you're doing there is you're just creating another label to try to make yourself feel better. Absolutely. And and how well has that ever worked in our lives? It, it never works, but we just keep doing it. Right. right. And so I think, I think that's why it's important that, that our listeners, especially those who've had these experiences as a young kid, need to not think in terms of the labels that have all been attached to them, but say, listen, there is a brokenness there that originated from these encounters. Absolutely. And I would even go so far as to potentially say some could be considered sexual abuse, mm-hmm. especially if the if it's a grown person with the child or definitely that's abuse. But even a, a 12-year-old child who's acting out on a 7- or 8-year-old kid that's abusive. Uh, sometimes you can have same age uh, p- folks who act out together, and then all of a sudden, what you see though is there's still a bit of an abuse factor there because it's a power issue. It's right. the one who's got more power. Well, I'm in charge here, so I'm going to make you do this. Mm-hmm. And you know, you just have to be willing to at least at some point look at I may have been sexually abused. Or I may have had some sexual brokenness in the area of same-sex interaction. And what do I do about that? And that would be my question. Is I mean, thinking of our listeners, think of, think of the guy out there right now that's listening, and he's nodding his head and he's saying, they're talking about me. This is my experience growing up. I was eight years old, and, and you know my uncle touched me, or I was whatever the experience was, they're saying, that's me. What would you say to that person and say, hey, this is, these are the first steps you need to take toward healing. What are the things that this person needs to do now that, they've, that maybe they're at a point where they're saying, man, I, yeah, I've, I've got that shame. I've got that. I know what that's like. What would you say to them are the critical things that they need to do in moving towards healing? Okay. Well, first of all, I want to say one more time that it may not just be the uncle because that's a pretty easy one. What I really want to focus on also today is the is the same age best friend yeah. or the year older best friend or the two year older brother. 
you know, those that are a little gray, because most guys have the hardest times with that. Yeah. The grown uncle, the 20 year old, you know, that's lives down the street and, and, you know, that we're pretty, we're pretty centered But what you're on. saying is all of these experiences, they, they create the same foundation for shame. Sure. It's all the same. Anytime you have a boy and a boy who act out together, you got a whole different playground to work on here. You got a whole different, uh, work that has to be done because, Immediately when that happens and somebody feels okay in it, you know, it's one thing if I go, ooh, yuck, I don't want to do this, and I walk away, and he says, yeah, I don't like it either, and we never do it again. That's different. But if it kind of feels good and I'm so sexually charged by porn and, you know, by looking at Dad's magazines and his videos or somebody's, you know, and we kind of start looking at him together, and the next thing I know we're doing things that we shouldn't be doing and then it takes us to a whole new place, I want those folks to really listen up right now because at that point, you really need to come talk to somebody who can help walk out that shame with you. It may not be a wife. It may not be a a dad. It may not be your best buddy. It may not be your golf, the guy you go golfing with because you may not feel safe yet talking to those people. You may need to come talk to somebody who can understand it and kind of know what that means and walk you through the shame. And who won't flinch when you tell your story. Yeah, Yeah. because, you know, others might flinch because they've seen you and they've expected certain things from you. And mom might cry and dad might go, oh, my gosh, my son, you know. But you need to talk to somebody who can. and, And you may need to just pray about that and ask God to show you who to talk to. But you also want to be very careful not to just choose any counselor out there because some counselors might say, oh, well, you're, you may have been gay. You know, that may be your obvious uh, track, and you may need to just go with that. And you really want to be careful with that, too. You really just want to hear these words. You know what, son? I'm sorry that happened, and I'm not surprised you got an erection. Not sure you, I'm not even surprised you may have ejaculated. It may have been fun. It may have felt good. Uh, but guess what? That doesn't make you gay. It doesn't make you homosexual. It just makes you broken. It felt good, but now what do you do with it? Because what you could have done is you could have said, hey, I'm gay and headed off in that direction. Or you could have said, hey, I got to go have sex with as many girls now as I can to prove that this, this didn't feel as good as I thought it did. Yeah, or do anything to hide it, stuff it, and make it go away. Absolutely, yeah. because you, you may wake up 20 years later and say, I don't know why I still have this sexual addiction, and it may be that very thing that cemented this thing into place. And that's why I really try to encourage people who are struggling in this way to realize we are more alike than we are different. Absolutely. Because everything that we've said right now regardless of what avenue you've taken, is rooted in that shame. Right. I mean, that's that's really what it is. It's about brokenness. And so that's why I agree with you. You need to talk to somebody who's not going to flinch, somebody who's going to be able to come alongside you and sort of coach you and guide you into a direction where you can say, listen, it's brokenness that is the issue here. And, and that's what we need to work on um, a healing and moving toward a place of wholeness where you're not uh, confused any longer about your sexuality, you're not in a state of panic and shame regarding it. Right. And listeners, believe it or not, that is actually possible. That is possible. God wants to get us to a place where we are not uh, in a state of shame about who we are and how he's made us. Absolutely. We are glad you joined us today, and we hope that God had a special word just for you. 
Remember that Healing Hidden Wounds and Shadow of His Wings Ministry are listener-supported, and all services are provided on a donation basis. If you heard something today that was especially important to you, we hope you will consider donating a gift. Please visit www.healinghiddenwounds.com to donate today. Now let it rain in my life and my heart Your love has done its part Now let it rain